So let's say you've been around a property for decades. You were there almost since it was built. You know its history. You know almost every single person that spent time there. You think you know more about this place than just about anyone. Then one day the phone rings and there's a person telling you, you know there's a vault in the basement. And of course, you have no idea there's a vault in the basement because it was locked away and abandoned before you came on the scene. The person goes on to tell you, yeah, the vault in the basement. I had a key to it, but it doesn't work anymore. But I think you have a key that will work actually. If you will get your key to the vault, then I will share everything in it with you. Wow, I never knew we had a vault, you say. What's in it? Oh, it's full of gold, the person says. It's been lost for over 30 years. Well, that's the kind of phone call I got from Taylor Barnhill, who was sitting on the equivalent of a vault full of gold that he could no longer get to. The gold was all the audio from his live performance series titled Over Home, which brought in different artists and people from the community to tell stories and sing ballads and aired on WNCW when it first went on air in 1989, continuing for about a year and a half. These shows were locked in an old analog vault, reel-to-reel tapes and cassette recordings. I had the key to open them up again. Studios here at WNCW which could transcribe the tapes to digital files, unlocking the dark, dusty basement of lost history and bringing it back to the light of day. Welcome to Southern Songs and Stories. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, inviting you to a -a one-of-a-kind performance from Doc Watson. Instead of playing music, Doc tells stories. You probably know that Arthur Doc Watson often told stories in between songs at his performances, but this is a whole show's worth. He opens up even more than usual with tales from his own family's history, stories that will make you laugh, and one especially that is pretty chilling. These are stories that will give you a glimpse into the world that Doc was born into almost a century ago, a world that was then not so different from the time a century before it when many of these tales took place. And maybe best of all, they are stories which give us a bit more understanding of Doc himself. You'll hear from Overhome producer Taylor Barnhill about his remarkable live series as well as we journey back to Doc's performance on May 27, 1989, coming up in this episode of Southern Songs and Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media. Osiris creates music podcasts and events to help music fans deepen their connection to the music they love with all of their shows at OsirisPod.com. Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans to the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. Capsule versions of Southern Songs and Stories are produced for broadcast on WNCW by me, Corey Askew. More information about this and other podcasts from Grassroots Radio, WNCW at WNCW.org. Late last spring, I headed west for the Appalachian Mountains and found myself wondering when was the last time I'd really gone anywhere. The shutdowns in North Carolina had eased just a week before, and practically no one had been going farther than a local store for months. It was a little bit exciting to simply drive up to the mountains again, and more so for the purpose of my trip, which was to meet with Taylor Barnhill and pick up all his gold. 
We sat at a distance in the public gazebo in downtown Mars Hill and talked at length about his show Over Home, which is a story in itself. Taylor, along with Sheila K. Adams, who was then his wife, got a grant to produce a live radio show and arranged to have it air on the new public radio station WNCW shortly before it went on the air in October 1989. They had no prior experience, but they had plenty of heart, and they saw it through, bringing in Fiona Ritchie to help them learn how to produce it and booking everyone from the Georgia Sea Island singers to Mick Maloney to local storytellers and performers like Bobby McMillan. Marilyn McCready, and his wife Sheila, who had just recently begun to play to large audiences. It was a time when the old traditions of storytelling and ballad swaps, of mountain music as a main event, had been in decline for decades. Doc Watson himself was an example. He played electric guitar early on, and when Ralph Rensler discovered him in 1960, it took Doc a while to be convinced that old-time music wasn't something to be left behind anymore. Over Home was born from an inspiration to bring to life that culture, to preserve some of those traditions. I started by asking Taylor about how they came up with the name. We went with the, the name Over Home because uh, in the mountains, uh, everything is about going over home or let's go over home and talk to Granny or uh, home is so important and you, you don't go home, you go over home. Like, go over the ridge? Well, you know, most people think that's what you're talking about. And in most cases, you actually were going over a ridge over into the next watershed or the next creek valley. Um, But it became more generalized, and it was just over home. You go to, you know, you go to wherever. Yeah. Well, you've got a lot of recordings that you've saved. Uh, I think all of your material is, is saved on tape. I'm especially curious about the the Doc Watson performance, which was at Isothermal Community College and might have had uh, an influence on Doc's later recordings because he was obviously known as a a master flat picker and, uh, you know, a rich, you know, baritone voice. But this was a very different performance. It was. And um, I just had a hunch that, you know, growing up in Deep Gap, um, Doc and his family had a storytelling tradition within the family, and they probably had a ballad tradition. And uh, access to him was difficult. I, you know, we knew David Hope well, still do, and David was helping us out with different things. But David said, well, I tell you what, just call his manager. I'll give you his phone number. He's out in Los Angeles. And, um, and I called him and actually had a long conversation with him. And I said, you know, uh, Doc comes from a tradition that includes the stories and the ballads as, long as, as well as the old-time music and the flat-picking guitar and all that. Uh, he's going to be at Isothermal Community College giving his regular concert. Could we possibly have him take another hour and put his guitar aside and uh, tell stories and sing ballads that he remembers down through his family. And um, the guy, the, his, his manager, just acted like I'd lost my mind. <laughs> and at one point he said, 
you do know who Doc Watson is, don't you? <laughs> but he said, I'll ask him. And, and Doc was happy to do it. And uh, so we did it with Bobby McMillan and Sheila introduced him and did a, a few minutes of their performance. And then the next 45 minutes, Doc, uh, with his guitar off to the side, sat and told stories and sang ballads that had come down through his family. It was fascinating. subject I believe you know a, an, an old song an old ballad that's kind of runs along the same lines oh yeah uh, that and it I learned from Ralph Ellison I guess that's the beginning of the evening's opening act which lasts for a little over half an hour and then it's time for Doc Watson thank you very much it's a pleasure to be here and I hope you all aren't too disappointed with my effort at this. I've never done a storytelling set before in my whole life. The man books it and he says, oh, you can do it. Only that ain't the way he said it. Uh, There's some children here, I'll not say what he said. (laughs) I don't know, after that song about the old devil taking the old lady to hell, I might as well say anything I want to. Well, first, I guess it's 
quite a few folks here hadn't met this ugly thing, so I'll tell you. Uh, I was born in what the, at the time they called it Stony Fork Township. It's the Deep Gap area now. I was born in 1923. My father, I mean my grandfather and grandmother were uh, Carlotta Watson, uh, Carlotta Carlton and Smith Watson. Grandpa was born in 19, I mean 1853 and my grandmother was four years younger than he was and died in 1939. <clears throat> And my father was born in 1891, and he died in 1949. And I grew up in the, uh, remembering back to when I was little, in the edge of that old time uh, era when the, they still had wagons and oxen and horses. And I meant to say a minute ago that if y'all are expecting a lecture of some kind, because I've been all over the country and picked in different parts of the world, well, I know four or five of those big words, but I don't know what most of them mean. <laughs> so I'll have to just be me like if you were in my living room. My grandfather said when he was about 14 years old, uh, my great, great uncle Luke came along. I'll tell you a little bit about Uncle Luke in a minute. And he wanted Grandpa to go a bee hunting with him. I'll explain what a bee hunting is. They'd find a bees drinking at a, either a, a stink bait course where there was nitrogen in the earth where animals had been or whatnot, or at a water course where there was water. And they'd, the bee will uh, kind of follow the, the up and down lay of the land, and they'd sight that bee out as far as they could see him go and take a uh, line of sight by a tree and then they'd go up there and watch him another piece. And they could find the wild bee tree. If they traced him far enough, they could find where the tree was. And they'd, some, most of the time, they saved the bees as well as the honey. They'd hive the bees and take them home, set them up on a little bench in a homemade hive and take the honey out of the tree and have that too. Well, it was a, it was a kind of a, uh, a lie that my great-great-uncle Luke told my great-grandfather, uh, Tom Watson, he said, I want the boy to go bee hunting with me, but there was two bear cubs in a big hollow tree. There was a, two big trees, and there was a fork you had to climb up in to get to where the mama bear had the cubs in this huge hollow chestnut tree. And he told Grandpa, he said, now, Smith, he says, I'll stay down here on the ground with my old... Uh, flintlock cocked and primed ready, and if the mama bear comes when the cubs start squealing, I'll shoot her. She won't, I won't let her up there. Well, Grandpa said he was scared till his heart was a-flying, but he went up there and he got the first cub in the big toe sack, big old oat sack, and he was getting the other one, and it was really raising cane and putting it in there, and it bit him one time, but he, about the time he got it in the sack, he said he heard the ivies and brush a-break, and he looked and here come the mama bear. Great Uncle Luke, he comes up with that old flintlock, and when he when he pulls down on that trigger, it don't fire. <laughs> Grandpa said it scared me so bad I just sat down. I don't know how I ever held onto the mouth of that sack to keep the cubs. And he said Uncle Luke threw that gun aside, and there was a long happened to be a long 
flint rock laying on the ground with a good handhold on the end of it. And when that bear started to rear up on that tree, he jumped astride her back and hit her a big lick in the back of the head with that rock. And when he did, she kind of sank down on the ground and he just kept pounding because by that time the little dog that Uncle Luke had had run in and the bear was trying to get hold of it. And he hollered, damn you, you won't kill my little dog. And he hits that bear four or five more licks and it gives down on the ground. He knows he's got it killed. And he finishes crushing its head. Looks around and the little dog has hold of the, one of the tendons and the bear's hind leg, just a shaking with all power. <laughs> Didn't even hurt that dog. Couldn't even get a hold of it. It was so small, I guess. Grandpa said I was so scared he had to help me down out of the fork of that tree. Grandpa kept his cub a while and sold it to somebody from a circus. And Uncle Luke, I don't know what he did with his, but Grandpa said when his, when his dad found out about that, he said, Luke Triplett, I'll never let my son go nowhere else with you if you're going to lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> they wagoned a lot in, in Grandpa's and some in Dad's day. And my grandfather said that once he went uh, with my Uncle Thomas Miller that married Grandfather's sister down here to Hickory uh, with a wagon load of produce one fall, hams and molasses and all kinds of dried fruits and whatever they could uh, preserve around the farm, you know, that they could haul and sell. And he said on the way back, they stopped and made a camp. They made a two-day trip out of coming to Hickory and back from up where we lived. And they made a camp at night, and the next morning, they heard some kind of a funny sound down by the river. And they went down there, and somebody had shot at a crane. There was plenty of hooping cranes back then, and it had broken its wing. Well, they caught the thing and put it in the provision box in the back of the wagon, thinking they'd take it home and, and keep it and put it in a cage to talk about, you know. And maybe its wing would heal, and eventually probably let it go. And he said they were going up the road, and all at once that crane hits, starts whooping right big and scares the team half to death, and here they go. And they can't, he can't stop the team, and there's gates across the roads then, dividing each farm, you know, and whatnot. And they, they couldn't get it. The team stopped, and the, the tongue of the wagon that went up between the, the two oxen caught that big gate and just took it out of the way. And, and the team ran their scare out and stopped. And uh, Grandpa said he looked around at my Uncle Thomas and said, are you going to go back there and see that man about that getting? No, he said, he's liable to shoot us. He said, let's keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a little old song about uh, courting, and uh, I'm not going to pick now. I, told, I promised the man I wouldn't pick a lick on the guitar. I will tonight at the concert. Uh, a song about girls, the way it used to be in courting, and the wagoner's lad, who was a, a poor boy, had no money. The girl was, parents were very wealthy, but she loves the boy, and they are talking scandalously about the boy because he's poor, and he doesn't like it at all. He's mad at the whole world over it. <clears throat> the song's called The Wagoner's Lad. The heart is the fortune of all womankind. They're always controlled and always controlled. 
then bound to their husbands the rest of their lives. I will tell of a girl whose fortune is sad. She's always been courted by the wagoner's lad. He's courted her daily say I'm not worthy to enter your door. I work for my living, my money's my own, and folks that don't like me can leave me Come and sit down here by me as long as you can stay. My horses ain't hungry, they won't eat your hay. So fare thee well, darling, I'll be on my way. Your wagon needs grazing, your whip is too many. Come and sit down here by me as long as you can. My wagon is greased, my whip's in my hand. So fare thee well, darling, no longer I'll stand. was about 18 years old, I, oh, he was about 16, and my uh, Aunt Isabel, Dad's oldest sister, married a Joey Sanders, I think the English call it Saunders, but uh, we always called it Sanders. Uh, first, I'll tell you a little bit about Joey's family background. There was uh, the man when he was a young fellow growing up, and Dad was uh, much smaller, much younger than, than Joey. Well, enough till when Joey was in his middle and late teens, Dad was seven or eight years old, you know. Uh, big enough to be taken along squirrel hunting or something with a, an older man that was responsible. Dad said that Uncle Joey was the most gentle uh, man with children. He was a loving character. He was full of devilment like all young fellows are, you know, like to get into fistfights and foolishness like that. But he was really good with children, and Dad said he used to take him on hunting trips for squirrels or whatever, and he'd, if he got tired, he'd pick him up on his shoulders. Joey was a big, tall man, like my son Merle was. And <clears throat> Joey married Aunt Isabel, and by the time they had three children, uh, something had begun to get wrong with his mind. He, 
get into rages and he would, in five minutes he would cry and beg the Aunt Isabel not to leave him. The jealous raging was something fearful. And the background was uh, Joey's mother uh, was hopelessly insane by the time he was, oh, a young man grown and was uh, died at, over at Morganton over here. And it was inherited evidently, but Joe's, uh, Uncle Joey's came out, uh, oh, violent, you know, terribly violent. Well, Annisbell took the three children and left him and went back to my grandfather's. And she wouldn't live with him anymore, and he divorced her. And then he married uh, a widow, Julie Trivet. She was a, a Watson, one of those honorary Watsons like Doc, you know. Uh, and like my Aunt Isabel, too. But Aunt Isabel loved Joey. He, she really did. Because I've heard her talk about him many times. The re I'm, what I'm leading up to is a ballad that I wrote, if I can remember all the words to it, about the tragedy. And Joey uh, didn't get along too well with the widow that he married the second time, and she ran him off. I mean, she didn't leave home. She sent him packing. And he, uh, he was shrewd in his insanity. He figured a way to, to scare her and her mother out of that house that they had lived in. And on her way, with two lawmen, she was so scared of Joy, with two lawmen walking, one on either side, a deputy and the sheriff of Luckyville, in 1909, he shot and killed her with a shotgun from barely at the bank of the road. These are true, this is a true story. Uh, I'll just give you all the details. She was eight months pregnant when he shot her. I told the man a minute ago, I didn't know anything but true, true stories to tell you. And this is uh, the story of my Uncle Joey and what happened. I'll tell you a story that's sad you will find Of a young mountaineer who was gentle and kind And sadly we ponder and think it's so strange How that cruel jealousy caused him to change He wed his first love and he called her his bride. But soon from her mad, his madness, she fled from his side. She went with her children to her father's home. And fearing her husband, she stayed there with him. A widow named Julie he then took to wife. But soon of his madness she feared for her life. She thought of her baby who was yet unborn and knew that if he killed her, its life too was gone. If she'd really loved him, and tried to be kind. <clears throat>
But not understanding his poor tortured mind With a heart full of hatred she drove him from home Not knowing by this she would hasten her doom She went to the sheriff and asked for his aid Her life had been threatened and she was afraid Oh, hide me from Joey for I fear him so he surely will kill me and this thing I know. Between the two lawmen walked Joey's poor wife, seeking protection for her very life, not knowing that death waited close by the way that a blast from a shotgun would kill her that day. The fatal shot was fired from the wooded roadside. In the dust of the roadway there poor Julie died. Shocked for a moment, the two men stood as one, leering the murder this madman had done when Joey killed Julie the people all say that the sheriff pursued him as he ran away then on down the holler a second shot was heard he had killed another the sheriff in feared but when And too late they knew that the man was insane And they could do nothing to bring back the life Of this poor man or his baby and wife On two empty shell casings lying on the ground In bold handwriting these few words were found Amazing grace, how sweet it will sound When Joey and Julie sleep under the ground first Thursday night in each month, I used to play at the Soldiers uh, Veterans Hospital at Johnson City, Tennessee, and I met a fellow out there named Claude Wilburn from over near Asheville up here, and a, he told me a tale that he deemed was the truth. Now, I can't vouch for the truth of this, but I'll pass it along to you. It'll give you a nice chuckle. There was a Mr. Bob Johnson lived up there between Hendersonville and Asheville in the early 30s. That was during the Depression years. And he had a whole raft of boys, two oldest named Jack and Joe. 
Jack's a big tall boy, about oh, way up there tall. And Joe wasn't much taller than that Mike is from the floor. But, uh, but they got along wonderful as friends. That Joe was about as stout as a mule, even if he was short. He was muscled. And they did a lot of hard work together. Did a lot of courting trips on Saturday nights. Had a little team model they traded hound dogs and whatnot and got a hold of. And they was going down the road one Saturday night, and the moon was shining pretty bright, and they came up with this farmer's hog lot. There was 15 or 20 big Schultz in there, and old Jack looked over at Joe, and he said, Son, let's get out here and get us one of them hogs and take him home, butcher him up. I ain't had a bite of pork on my plate in a month of Sundays. And Joe looked over and kind of grinned. He said, Well, Jack, I guess we could, son. <laughs> They got out of there and got that pig up in that car between them because they didn't have a one seat and that's the only place they had to haul him. That Joe, you know, that Joe, he was a, a farm boy in the true sense of the word. He knowed the ways of hogs. He'd scratch that old pig behind the ear. Old pig, he snuggled right down that seat and got quiet, you know. They turned the curve. I searched the sheriff's car parked by the road. Jack said, son, he's been accusing me of bootlegging. What the devil are we going to do with your hog? You know he's going to stop me. He said, well, I know that, but you can't run him. He might as well have gone down there. And Joe pulled his cap off and set her down over that pig's head, you know. <laughs> Sheriff, he waved them down. They stopped. He said, what's your name? And Jack said, Sheriff, I'm old man Bob Johnson. Boy, Jack, I'm old as a boy. I live right here on the hill. Yeah, people know you, son. He went on the other side. And he said, well, what's your name? And he said, I I'm Joe Johnson. I'm Jack's brother. Well, he said, yeah, believe I know you too. And he held his lantern up and seen that pig's nose sticking up from under that cap on there. And he said, well, what's your name? And Joe kind of hunched that pig with his elbow and old hog said, oink. <laughs> well, the sheriff looked kind of puzzled and he said, well, go on, boys, and behave yourself tonight now. And when they drove away, he looked at his deputy and he said, son, I have traveled a many a mile in this old world and been a lot of different places, but I'll be darned if Oink Johnson ain't the ugliest man I've ever seen. <laughs> tell you a strange story that my grandmother told me. There was a young couple that got married one fall, and they built them a little small log cabin, and on up the road from them, there was a, a very sweet old lady that really loved the boy as, as though he were her own, and the young girl, oh, she was a, a wonderful person and was really good. To, they called, both of them called her grandma, and they, the girl was really good to her and went and helped her a lot around the house when she'd be sick or ailing a little bit and helped her with a lot of her housework and whatnot. She got real sick the next year, and she told the boy and the girl that she wanted them to come over. She had something to tell them. And when they got there, she said, uh, there's something I want to give you tonight, and in the morning I've got another surprise for you. She gave him a deed to, the, to her house. It's a big, fine house. Her husband had left her. Really fine for that day. And the next morning, they stayed with the, the, the older lady that night, and the next morning she was dead. She passed on in her sleep. Well, they never knew what the surprise was, but they went... Uh, to her lawyer, yes, he said the will and everything's been made, the house is yours and the land, everything she had. Well, they lived there for the rest of that summer and along late that fall, 
They noticed, though, after Grandma died, her cat was gone, a big black cat. He wasn't there anymore. They never saw the cat again for all the summer. In the late fall, they were sitting by the fireplace. The cat came in, and he'd look up at the, at the first at the wife and then the husband, and he'd wow, and he'd scratch at the edge of the hearthstone and look up at him. And he'd scratch at the edge of the hearthstone, and they just thought it was just the cats behaving strangely, you know. For three or four nights, it did that in a row. And he got to looking down, and he could see that that hearthstone had been broken away from the mortar joint around it where it had been put down. The last time the cat did that, he got the, the poker and got it wedged in there and raised that section of the hearthstone up, and there sat a, a whole little cooking pot, a gallon, I guess, almost full of gold coins. And the cat never reappeared. My grandmother told me that tale as the good Lord's truth. She said she knew the people. So I suppose it really happened. You know, sometimes I think the reason things like that, this is my opinion, mind you, I think the reason things like that don't happen this day and time, uh, oh, I've wasted a whole lot of time around in my mouth. <laughs> I think the reason things don't happen uh, this day and time that, that are really uh, bizarre and strange and unusual, we're too skeptical in this, uh, we're all too, too big a skeptics, most of us are, you know, and we wouldn't believe them if it did happen. You reckon? <laughs> um, I got one more fun tale I got to pass along to you, but now I won't swear this is the truth. I'll tell it in first person, but y'all can take it or leave it. <laughs> I ran into to an old boy uh, two or three years back in the late fall. It's getting real chilly. And he says, Doc Watson, me and you ain't played no good music together in years. He says, I guess it's been 30 years since I've picked with you. Why don't you go home with me and spend the night and we'll pick some? I said, buddy, I believe I'll do that. Went over with the car and got my old guitar out. We got down there. He'd built him a fine new log house. He'd made them logs feel like they was weathered a hundred years on the outside, but he had her all slicked up inside with nice paneling and all that good stuff. But it was designed like one of the better old-time log cabins. A great big affair for the living room with a big king-size bed way back in the corner. and Nice closets and a little offset section for the little lady's kitchen. We sat around the fire and picked till she got supper about ready. She called us to come off the table. Now, I know that most of you here in this little gathering uh, this evening have, <laughs> well, you have two or three foods that when you're really hungry, I mean starvable, that you really like to eat. Well, two of mine, or, or three of them, would be uh, cornbread with pinto or navy beans and a big slab of, of ham cooked in them beans. Mm -mm -mm. Well, now, she had pintos and cornbread cooked uh, with uh, the that good ham meat on that table along with a lot of other good trimmings, apple pie and all that good stuff. And I was ashamed to eat more than a fourth of what I wanted. <laughs> Tried to use what little table manners mum would learn me, you know. After supper, we went back to the fire and sat down and we picked a way long down the shank of the evening. 
He says, Doc, I've got to work tomorrow. I guess we'd better go to bed. And I said, son, I noticed in that closet there's a great big stack of homemade quilts and some good pillows in there. Hand me about four of those quilts, and I'll make me a pallet right here on the floor in front of this fireplace and sleep just like a pig in a bed of leaves. He says, well, you can do that if you want to, but that old big king-size bed, so I just sleep in front of us. We'll never know you there. And I said, well, I ain't used to that kind of thing. I guess I could. Well, we was about ready to go to sleep when his little beagle hounds took all the splinters off the little back porch. They heard something growl up next to his pig lot. And that old boy jumped out of there and into them boots and britches, and he grabbed that shotgun as he went out the door. I heard him check it to see if it was loaded. Yep, I'll get that black bear this time. Gravy, he's going to get one of my little pigs if I don't. When him and them dogs went all the way out of here and up through the woods, that little lady leaned over and said, now's your chance if you won't waste no time. <laughs> well, I'll guarantee you folks one good sweet truth. By the time he got back, I'd eat up all them beans and bread and hid the bowl. Lord, let me walk in the way thou hast gone, leading straight to that land above. Spreading cheer everywhere to the sad and the long. Fill my way every day with love. Fill my way every day with love. As I walk with the heavenly dove, let me go all the while. Song and a smile fill my way every day with love. Keep me close to the side of my Savior and God. Let me never in darkness roll. Keep my path free from wrath. I'm my soul satisfied. Fill my way every day with love. Fill my way every day with love. As I walk with the heavenly dove, let me go all the while with the 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Southern Songs and Stories, and I hope you might tell a friend about the podcast. You can subscribe to the series on your podcast platform of choice, and it helps even more when you give it a good rating and a review. Great ratings, and reviews especially, will make Southern Songs and Stories and the artist's profiles more visible to more people just like you. And it helps to spread awareness and make more people connected when you like and follow the show on our social media. You can find us on the Facebook page, Southern Songs and Stories, on Twitter, at South Scenes, and on Instagram, at South Stories. Southern Songs and Stories is a part of the podcast lineup of both Public Radio WNCW and Osiris Media, with all the Osiris shows available at OsirisPod.com. You can also hear new episodes of this podcast on Bluegrass Planet Radio at BluegrassPlanetRadio.com. Thanks to Corey Askew for producing the radio adaptations of this series on Public Radio WNCW. Our theme songs are by Joshua Ming. I'm your host and producer, Joe Kendrick, and this is Southern Songs and Stories, the music of the South and the artists who make it. And I think that's a trait of mountain oral tradition is the creativity, the curiosity. You know, this culture is ultimately creative. The language is a great example. It's so much more interesting than common English and is, is regarded by a lot of outsiders as being deficient or wrong, you know. But I think it's just a much more beautiful, creative language and you add the the dialect and the accent to it and that's another thing we're losing and uh, that was one of the main motivations behind this radio program we would ask our audience our radio audience to send us expressions and sayings and they'd mail them in to us and uh, we would get some great expressions uh, you know Sheila already knew most of them because she she had been collecting them in her mind all her life, but um, faster than who shot John? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember a couple of these from my grandparents. Yeah, well, some of my favorites are just uh, works of art, but I can't mention them on the radio. <laughs>